Well, welcome everybody to downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the uh, lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. I'm excited because of the nine o'clock service. Our entire projector was down. It's up. I mean, it's much smaller than normal, but at least it's up and you don't have to strain your eyes trying to read off this little screen. But as Christina alluded to, we are wrapping up what has now been this eight-week series that we are calling This Is True, That Is Real. And if it's your first time here, briefly, what we were doing is we've been talking about these truths that mean something in the light of eternity. And what we have found is that sometimes certain truths bump up against other truths and it causes some tension. And a lot of times folks don't like tension. A lot of times churches don't like tension. We actually think that tension makes truths more real. And so we're running towards attention. We're embracing it. We're making it a part of our experience here on a Sunday morning, hoping that we can grow from it. Now, last time that I was on this stage a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to you about a couple of truths. I said to you that I think, I firmly believe that, that we should enjoy going to church. And I know it's shocking to some of your you know, folks, depending on your experience, but I believe that you should enjoy going to church. And I also believe you should enjoy living in the world. And part of our structure here are those DHC nights because we want to show the world that as a Christian, you can actually have some fun. You can go out into the world and enjoy the things that God has created. Now, teeing up that conversation, I talked about how in the research and development of Downtown Harbor Church, we wanted to create a place where our friends and family who don't go to church might actually want to go. Because... 87% of the Tri-County area doesn't go to church. And so we asked our friends, we asked our family, what's the issue? Why don't you want to go? And they gave us a whole slew of reasons of, of, of why they hate going to church. And I kind of laid those out for you. That actually led to a lot of interesting conversations between me and, and you guys. I got a lot of phone calls, a lot of texts, a lot of emails, and, and it became clear, something that I already knew, but it became clear that there's a lot that happens sort of within the local church that keeps people away. But something else became clear to me. It became clear to me that there are things that happen within the local church that hurt people. Last Sunday, or two Sundays ago, after that message, about two in the afternoon, 1.32, and I got an email from one of you guys. And um, as soon as I read it, I just said, hey, would you mind if I just shared your parts of your email, if I just shared your experience? Because I just feel like, I feel like what this girl went through is something that perhaps maybe one of you went through, has gone through. And I just thought it might help you to know that you're not alone in this particular experience. I mean, she said, yeah, and I told her I'd leave her name out. She told me that like my dad, if you remember back to the message, like my dad, she said, I, I grew up in a super strict Christian household. Like your dad, I was not able to go to the movies, really couldn't do anything, she said. And I could only go to church. And she told me that she was sort of led to believe that church really wasn't something you were supposed to enjoy. She writes, for the first 15 years of my life, I had to go to church every Sunday, but I hated it. But over the past couple of years, I've experienced awesome people, like the ones at DHC. And it's really begun to change my perspective on things. 
And then she said something that broke my heart. I honestly wouldn't say that I'm a Christian right now because I think it's going to take a while for me to completely get over the really negative experiences I have with church. Just, just let that sink in for a moment if you're a Christian. She says, you know, I, she's not saying, you know, I'm not a Christian right now, not because I've read the scriptures and I don't believe them. She's not saying, you know, I'm not a Christian right now because I've heard the claims of Jesus and I just don't believe that he is who he says that he is. She said, I'm not a Christian right now because of the really negative experiences I've had with church. And she's not talking about a building. Jesus Christ himself said that we, his followers, if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, we are the church, ecclesia, the word he used, a gathering of people, which means she walked away from Christianity because of Christians. I think that a place like DHC is great for me right now, where it is genuine and it's accepting. What this girl, our friend, shared with us is true. And it's real. And that's honesty. And that is hurt. That is what I would call spiritual scar tissue at its finest damage caused by Christian-on-Christian Christian violence, for lack of a better word. Now, I don't know where she grew up. I don't know where she went to church, but I'm going to assume a couple of things. I'm going to assume that the church that she went to had a firm grasp of Scripture. I'm going to assume that the church that she went to preached the gospel. I'm going to assume they had solid theology. I'm going to assume that the folks in that church knew scripture, chapter, and verse, but I'm also going to assume that they dropped the ball in one massively important area. And that's what we have to talk about today as we bring this series to a close. Because here's something I know to be true. Beliefs matter. Beliefs matter. What you believe about God matters. What you believe about Jesus matters. What you believe about sin, what you believe about your soul, these things matter. These beliefs mean something in the light of eternity. I believe scripture matters. Because without the Bible, it is difficult, folks, for us to know God beyond natural revelation, as Paul would describe it. The ability to look at the created world and to just know, well, there's got to be a creator. That's about as far as you're going to get without Scripture. Paul wrote one day a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. He said it like this. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right. Scripture teaches us who God is and how we can relate to him. Scripture teaches us who we are 
and who we can be through Christ. Scripture teaches us how to live, how to love, how to worship. It teaches us about salvation and about the world to come. And subsequently, what you believe when it comes to God and his son, Jesus Christ, has eternal implications and consequences. Now, I understand that we live in 2021 and we live in a time of personal truths, right? We've heard this. You'll hear people say, well, I just need to speak my truth, whatever that even means. We live in a time where people say, hey, you do you. You do you. We live in a time where people will say, well, there are many ways to God. But Paul warned Timothy about such a time as this. He said, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires. They'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Timothy, my boy, there's going to come a time when people are going to reject this truth and they're only going to want to hear what they want to hear. Now, you look at culture right now, it's like Paul had a crystal ball. Beliefs matter. How we understand the things of God, his laws, his commands, his principle, these things matter because the world may say, look, there's a thousand ways to God. Jesus himself said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one, we don't like that word, no one comes to the Father except through me. So the world may want to cancel Christians for being bigots, but we didn't make this up. Jesus said it, which means there are truths that just cannot be canceled. There are truths that just cannot be massaged. They've got to be proclaimed. Because beliefs matter. And a massive part of my job is to help teach you guys good theology. To help you understand the things of God. To help you understand what he expects of us. How he wants us to live. So yes, beliefs matter. They mean something. They really, really mean something in the light of eternity. But here's something else I believe. And if you tweet, what I'm about to put on this screen, without any kind of context at all, I could get in trouble. I mean, if you could take a picture of what I'm about to put on the screen, and I know you like doing that, and you post it on Instagram, or you put it on Facebook without any context to the whole series of everything we've been talking about up until this point, I can get in trouble. And the reason I know I can get in trouble is because Jesus got in trouble for saying what I'm about to say. And I'd argue he was perhaps ultimately crucified for it. Because yeah, beliefs matter. But, and this is the biggest tension of the entire series. People, people matter more. At the end of Jesus' ministry, after three years of teaching and correcting incorrect theology, 
correcting incorrect beliefs, after performing miracle after miracle, he gathered all of his disciples together one last time. Wanted to teach them one last thing before he went back to the Father. And in that moment, he distilled down all of his entire earthly ministry. Everything that he said, everything that he taught, everything that he lived into this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Think about the magnitude of this statement right here. Jesus is saying, I want people to look at you and know that you're a Christian, not based on your church attendance, which is good, and not based on your beliefs, which matter, but based on how you treat other people. So one day Jesus is teaching and a Pharisee comes up to Jesus. Now, if you don't know who a Pharisee is, a Pharisee was one of the Jewish uh, religious leaders at the time. This would have been someone who excelled in theology. This would have been someone who had scripture, the, the Hebrew Bible memorized, chapter and verse. This is someone who would have prided himself on, on really doing the commands of God. And one day this Pharisee goes up to Jesus and asks him a question. Teacher, he said, Rabbi, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses. Jesus, you know, as Jews, we have this, we got the Ten Commandments. We have our 613 additional laws that we do. We have all of God's word. We have all of his commands. We have all of his principles. Out of all of that, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? That's actually a great question. Now, I don't know how long it took Jesus to respond, but he replied, you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I've got to imagine the Pharisees kind of looked at each other and go, okay, maybe this guy's not all bad. That's sort of the answer we were hoping he was going to say. But Jesus didn't stop there. He goes, and, and we're like, and, and the second is equally important. Whoa, wait, hold on a second, Jesus. A second command? You're trying to tell us that there's something else out there that is equally important as loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul? Well, this I got to hear. He was in the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, for thousands of years, the Jews believed that, that their love for God was demonstrated by their beliefs, by how well they obeyed the law of Moses. Now Jesus is saying, your love for God, now that I'm here, your love for God is demonstrated and illustrated by your love for others. And then he said something that was incredible. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And when a Jewish person would use the phrase, all the law and the prophets, that is slang, that is a phrase for the entire Hebrew scripture. All the 613 laws, all the 10 commandments, all the thou shalt, all the thou shalt nots, all of your beliefs, all of your theology, everything, Jesus says, hangs on loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Do you know what that means for us? 
particularly as Christians. That means that every single time you pick up the Bible to find out what it says about you know, this situation or that situation, every time you look through scripture to find out what it says about this group or that group, about what it might say about marriage or raising kids or about sex or about finances, every time we look for a law or a command or a principle, Jesus says, make sure you look at all of that through a filter of loving God and loving others. In other words, Jesus would say, I want you to ask, what does love demand? Because if we're to be known as his followers by how we love, well, then what does love demand? I mean, knowing what I know about God, knowing what I know about his truths, what, what, what does love demand in this scenario or that scenario? Now, this question looks simple, but it is just overflowing with tension. Because as Christians, we tend to look at the commands and we forget all about the intent of the commander. We tend to say things like, well, you ought to, you have to, and Jesus would go, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you go any further, just make sure you're asking the question, what does love demand? And I just think the brilliance of what Jesus is saying is actually evidenced in our friend's experience with church as a child. Let me show you. In all of our lives, we got two groups. There are two groups of people who have made you the person you are today. As a spouse, as a parent, as an adult, there are two people who have helped form and shape you into the person you are. Those who hurt you and those who loved you. Now here's sort of the confusing part. Here's sort of the troubling bit because often we've been hurt by people who have accurate theology. Often we've been hurt by people who believed the right things who never missed church, who knew all the songs, who could quote the Bible chapter and verse, but they destroyed you and set you up for an adult experience that was just so painful at times. Now on the flip side, some of you have moved into adulthood with extraordinary confidence incredible potential, a healthy sense of self because of those who loved you. And maybe their theology wasn't that sophisticated. Maybe it was very simple. Maybe they didn't know all the songs. Maybe they didn't know all the Bible stories, but they loved you. And that did something to your soul. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is why what he says is so powerful and so profound. And yet somewhere along the way, after he said this to us, and it probably happened about five minutes after he went back to heaven, a shift happened from how you love, as he called us to do, to what you believe. Because believing, that's simple. But loving, that's far more 
demanding. And can you imagine, just for a moment, the influence the church would have if we just began to embrace the tension that exists by asking the question, what does love demand? Because Jesus said the world will know that you're mine. Not based on what you believe, but based on how you treat other people. So how do we get better? How do we get better not just believing the right things because beliefs matter? How do we get better at treating people the right way? How do we live in a way that heals people of their hurts and loves them towards their Savior, Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you three principles, just three simple things that you can remember. When we ask the question, what does love demand? Love demands that you don't do anything that will hurt you. Do you know why? It's because your heavenly father loves you. You can't do anything to you that doesn't hurt him. Just like a parent hurts when their child hurts. Love demands of us that we never make a moral decision, a relational decision, a professional decision that hurts you. Because when you hurt you, you hurt the one and the ones who love you. Now you may say, what I do is my business. What I do is my business, it's my life. No, it's not. Not according to scripture, it's not. Because you're loved. It's not just your life. It's not just your world. It's not just your relationships. Your heavenly father loves you. And love demands that you take care of you. Additionally, love demands that you don't do anything that will hurt others. It's saying, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to say anything to hurt another person. I'm not going to do it on the job. I'm not going to do it in my daily walk. And I'm not going to do it on social media. Why? Because every person you meet is someone that God sent his son to die for. Every single person you meet is someone that God loves as much as you. So let me just make this very practical for you as Americans. If you're a Republican in this room, guess what? God loves Democrats. And if you're a Democrat in this room, newsflash, God loves Republicans. Therefore, if you are a Christian in this room, we got to watch how we talk about one another because according to Jesus, that is how the world will know that you are a follower of Christ. Love demands that you never hurt, betray, deceive, slander, groom, tempt, abuse another person. And lastly, and this is one you might not have thought of, love demands that you don't be mastered by anything. Because when you are mastered by something, it keeps you from loving someone. And no one should have to compete with your alcohol, your porn. No one should have to compete with your drugs or your anger or your greed. 
Love demands that you refuse to be mastered by anything because God is your master. Love demands that you do whatever you got to do, whatever kind of help you need to get to rid yourself of anything in life that competes with God's lordship. Because you cannot love as long as you're mastered by anything. So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider. Now, I'm not saying implement, okay? Because to implement might require a massive life change. To implement might require a complete overhaul in some cases. So I just want you to consider think about, right? Maybe dip your toe into. Not forever. Not for a year. Not the next month. Maybe just the next week. I want you to think about what it might look like for you to start asking the question, what does love demand of me? Now, the truth is, some of us hear this and think, ah, that's just too simple. Well, when God answered this question, it cost him his son. When Jesus answered this question, it cost him his life. And I get it. This is a polarizing question. This is a question that is filled with tension because some may think, eh, he's asking us to throw away the truth. He's watering down the gospel. Knew it was going to happen one of these days. Others may think, yes. Say more. We need to rid ourselves of the uncomfortable parts of Scripture, and we just got to love. But neither of these responses are embracing the tension of asking the question, what does love demand of me? Neither of these responses embrace the, the, the tension and, and that Jesus exhibited in his own life. Because Jesus called sin, sin. He called sinners, sinners. And then he died for those sinners. John said of Jesus, we saw his glory, the glory that belongs to the only son of the father. And he was full of grace and truth. And this word full, this means complete, overflowing in abundance. He was full of both grace and truth. He was full of both love and law. He didn't compromise one for the other. He embraced that tension. And I just think as his followers, if you're a follower of his today, we got to figure out what it looks like to embrace truth and grace, law and love, beliefs and people. And if there's any confusion as to what love might look like, in our pursuit to love as Jesus loved? If there's any confusion, if you need help as to how to bring the truth of God in love to the people around you and in your life, Paul says, let me explain to you what love looks like. Because love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Oof. 
It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. So if we want to see people come to Christ, if we want to see people not walk away from Christ, if we want the world to know that we are his followers, then we got to learn to love. Because beliefs matter. Oh, they matter. There are eternal consequences and implications. Beliefs matter but people matter more. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today and just have a discussion about this. Because God, we, we love you and we want to follow your laws, and we want to follow your commands, and we want to do what's right, but sometimes, Lord, because we are humans, in the execution of our theology, we have done damage, and we have hurt people. God, I pray that if there's someone in this room today, if there's someone watching online right now, if there is someone listening in the future who has been hurt by the ones who love you, I pray that you would touch their spirit. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be a bomb in their life that would heal their hurts, God, and bring them back towards you. And God, those of us in this room who do call ourselves Christians, I pray that as we leave this place, you would give us the strength and the courage to begin asking the question, what does love demand of me? And I pray that by your power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, you would help us to live that out. And in doing so, you would be glorified. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.